Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about the episode of Farscape, Bone to be Wild. Yes, episode 21 of season one, Bone to be Wild. So close to the end of season one, and yet not a, uh, it's not really like a continuation of the story they set up in the last three episodes or so. Yeah, I mean, well, Aaron's plot is... I mean, Aaron, you know, needs to figure out how to help Moya communicate with the baby ship, so it's kind of... Yeah, but I mean, like, it's, like, those those three parts were, like, integral to one another. That's true, yeah. This could easily be viewed on its own and just, you know, as a continuation of the plot they set up. Yeah, A Bug's Life Nerve and A Hidden Memory, they're all kind of one long movie. Yes. And uh, this season's going to end on a season cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. So the next episode after this is going to be Family Ties, which is a two-parter. And then we won't get the second part. I mean, we'll, we'll get it right away because it, it's the year 2020. But if we were back in the day, we would have had to wait a whole summer to get the next part after that. So were they pretty sure that they were going to get another season or were they just willing to end on a cliffhanger? That's a great question. I think... They were pretty sure that they were going to get a season two. I will say that they end the whole show on kind of the most cliffhanger of cliffhangers, but then uh, they... Excuse me, Clone High exists. I We're going to finish the last episode and you're going to be like, what did I just watch? I don't know. I've seen the, seen the end of the first season of Clone High. Wait, what happens at the end of the first season of Clone High again? They all get frozen in the meat locker. Bigger WTF moment at the end of the last season of this one. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a bigger WTF moment. God, I love Clone High so much. Clone High is good. And even the things that haven't aged great still work, because it's a pastiche of 90s shows when all of those things you could see on primetime TV. Well, yeah, now it's like a now it's like a period piece. Well, I mean, it was always a period piece. It just was in that period at the time. Well, I think I've brought this up before, but it's like Back to the Future. Because Back to the Future is a time travel movie, the stuff that wouldn't age works because it's a time travel movie. He, when he goes back to the 50s diner, which is just a diner because it's the 50s, and he's like, I'll have a Pepsi free. And the guy's like, what? See, at the time it was funny because in the 50s they didn't know what Pepsi free was. Now it's funny because Marty McFly wants a Pepsi free? What is this, 1985? I mean, Marty McFly seems like he's from a parody of the 80s. Exactly. Oh, like, that outfit? Yeah. I I want to be like, people didn't really dress like that in the 80s, except that, you know, it is 1985. Well, I think they kind of had to play it up so that the time travel would, which, you know, makes it work better. Yeah, I mean, because what, just jeans and a t-shirt, like, that's, that's a timeless look. Although... To backtrack a little, Clone High is a magic show, don't get me wrong. You mean like a lightning in a bottle show? No, I mean it's a really, really good show. Like, it's Lord and Miller when they were, you know, just starting to hit their stride. Well, uh, that's kind of what, like the right people at the right moment, like everything just came together perfectly. Will Forte, just as he's getting started. I mean, that cast is so good. And it it's, uh, what's his face? Bill Lawrence. It's Bill Lawrence before he became a parody of himself. It's Bill Lawrence when he was willing to just, like, give them money and step back and, like you said, let Lord and Miller just make the show. Because, I mean, there's a lot of his standby players in Clone High. like Krista Do- Miller. Yeah, Krista Miller. Uh, Donald Faison, uh, Zach Braff, and 
and Sarah Chalk are all like, they all do voices on that show. Wait, wait, I forgot Zach Braff was in Clone High. Who is Zach Braff? Okay, so he's in the episodes, but he's not like a featured player. So like, he is Paul Revere. He's Team Paul Revere and one thing. And I think the only one of the three of them that had a consistent role. Was Krista Miller as Cleopatra? No. Oh, Donald Faison as... uh... Toots. Yeah. Joan of Arc's blind jazz playing uh adoptive father adopted grandfather ah uh, uh. this episode was directed by andrew prouse who directed several episodes including the pilot mm. and this episode was written by david kemper and rockney s o'bannon so you know this is a standbys uh not yet not just standby well david kemper is a standby rockney s o'bannon is the series creator so mm. You know that this is supposed to be an important episode. There's important stuff coming. You know because you see Rodney S. O'Bannon's name on it. Okay, can we talk about how John is basically a golden retriever at a tennis match in this episode? Because he just keeps going back and forth? Yeah. I mean... Also because he's stupid and doesn't know what's going... I mean, no. No, because he keeps going back and forth. John is no slower on the uptake than any other character in this episode. Okay, but the thing is... The thing is, the difference being, John grew up on Star Trek, so he keeps on thinking that he knows what the plot is. I was actually going to say that John's problem in this episode is that he's wrong genre savvy. Yeah, totally. All right, we ready to talk about it? Yeah. Bone to be wild. So... Bone to be... Okay. Yeah. Can't do any more. We'll have to pay for it. We don't pay for things. It's We're true. a podcast. It's the Wild West out here. It's true. It's also the Wild West in space, where Moya has to turn all of her guts off so the peacekeepers that are trying to find them can't find them. Well, so it's actually like a submarine movie, right? Where you're like all cramped in and you have everything off so that you're not picked up on radar. And everybody's super cold because she had to turn the heat off. And, you know, so it's dark and it's cold and everyone's all huddled up hoping that they don't get spotted by Crazy's command carrier that they know is out there. Why is Rigel cold? Isn't he cold-blooded by nature? Shouldn't he be in his element, as it were? I mean, I guess I you mean, could freeze fish to death. Yeah, I think so. when you're cold-blooded, you, I, I, I think it makes it harder for you to regulate your temperature if you're not, like, in the Goldilocks zone. Mm. That's depressing for him. Zan's fine, though. Zan is fine. Which is not the case with plants. Plants do not do well in cold. But whatever. They call out that Zan is fine specifically because they wanted to prep us for the reveal later in this episode that Zan is a plant. But you're right. Yeah, plants don't do well in cold. Like, a killing frost is in reference to plants. It's not like a serious storm. There's there's a song, I think it's called Wildfire, about a girl who gets lost, you know, in a killing frost looking for her horse. But okay. killing frosts refer to, it's it's a gardener's term. Yeah. And it, it just means, like, a kind of cold day. Yeah, but but that kills plants, yeah. right? Like, you have to go out and protect your plants. Yeah. It's one of those things that it sounds very cool, but it's actually pretty mundane. So, Pilot picks up a distress call from one of the asteroids in the asteroid field they're traveling through. Mm-hmm. And uh, John decides to put on his big boy hero pants and go save this lady who's like, You need to help us. It's coming for us. It's going to kill us all. You have to save me and my family. Okay, I don't know what voice you're doing. I don't know what voice she's doing. I'm pretty sure it's just an Australian accent. Is it? 
It's not what Australian people sound like, I don't think. It's one of those classic sci-fi distress calls, by the way. Yes. As mentioned in, I, it's weird because we talked about this for a while on our Charmed podcast, kind of like the one that uh, Ensign What's-His-Face talks about in Lower Decks. Yeah, when he's like, I'm not going to be a captain, I'm going to be the guy who sends out the distress call about the thing that killed the whole colony, and then you find my distress call, but too late to save me! Yeah, that's exactly the distress call we see. It's also the distress call that Sarah Paulson sends off in uh, in Serenity, the Firefly movie. I learned recently there are people who really don't like that movie. I think there are some people who felt like they wanted the series to go in a different direction. And the movie not only doesn't go in that direction, but it like it like closes off the series. It's They were going to get another season. I know, I know. Um, it's actually funny. I'm going to show you i i watched it last night while you were asleep i watched the stargate episode 200 mm-hmm. i've been waiting for you to get far enough in farscape that i can show you that stargate episode i'm not getting into stargate it's okay you don't have to but i rewatched it and there's it's 200 is kind of a meta making fun of sci-fi shows in general uh. episode and there's i i realized after i watched it i'm not going to show you the whole episode i'm just going to show you the one clip from it that's good Or the one clip from it that's relevant to your interests. Mm. But the premise is that they're making a movie out of the fake Stargate show that exists in the world of Stargate called Wormhole Extreme. Okay, did Supernatural lift a whole bunch from Stargate? Because that sounds like something Supernatural did. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, Supernatural did do that. I don't know if it was just convergent evolution, but yeah. But one of the characters is like, why are they making a movie about a TV show that only aired three episodes? And then Daniel Jackson is like, apparently it did very well on DVD, which is a dig at Firefly. Uh, we uh, we actually were just talking about that recently, about how uh, with streaming, there's not really a way to support shows like that. Because the things that brought back, I know this is, these are kind of shooting yourself in the foot examples, but Family Guy or Futurama, the things that brought those back were DVD sales. And that's yeah. not a thing anymore. So And it's like... You can't even really show support for a show. It was it came out a couple of years ago that Netflix realized with their algorithm that after two seasons, people didn't subscribe to the service for shows. So if you hear like BoJack Horseman is really good and you decide you're going to get a Netflix subscription just so you can watch BoJack Horseman, that's going to happen within the first two years. After three years, you're not going to do that. And that's the only metric Netflix cares about, which is why they're routinely canceling shows after two seasons now. Mm-hmm. Um, Bojack Horseman is not a good example because they actually gave it several. Yeah, they gave it like five seasons. But I think that's because the prestige that they were getting from having like a show that was so critically acclaimed. Santa Clarita Diet, which is like one of the best shows ever. They made it to three, but they were like, even though, again, like they're not giving you more than... Because that study came out after they had already started work on the third season. Well, and so. it, like, it doesn't matter how many times we stream seasons one through three. Netflix figures we're already customers. It doesn't matter what we're watching. Yeah. And unfortunately, they're right. Like they're, like you said, there's no way to show support. Uh, Tuka and Birdie. God. Didn't even get a second season. Such a good show. Such a good show. And it, it hits that weird sweet spot of being... A sitcom that's for adults, that's not about a family, and that's not, like, 
South Park out and out gross, but it's, it's just... It's not edgy, it's just for adults. Yeah, it's not edgy, it's legitimately mature. Yeah. But it's also this very frenetic, old school animation. God, I love Tuka and Birdie. Yeah, me too. So Farscape. Farscape. The distress call is coming from an alien who we're going to learn is named Emily. 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 It, Emily. But, but it's M apostrophe Lee. Yes, is, that is her name. It, it's it's said Emily, but it's... Yeah, it sounds like Emily, but no, it's Emily. Uh, played by Ben Browder's Real Life Wife. Yeah. She plays a different character in every season of Farscape, by the way. Bonnie Browder. Bon Browder. Benny Browder. Okay, she's not his distaff counterpart. She's his wife. And also, I don't know her name. Bonnie Because I should have looked that up. Yeah. Well, now, now you've now you've brought it up. I feel like it's disrespectful if I don't look it up and, and say what her name is. Ben, Benjamina Browder. It's a real name, but it's not her name. Her name's Francesca Bueller. Bueller. Yes. So, John is going to the planet with Zan and Darko because he wants this mission to fail as hard as it possibly can. Okay. To be fair. Aaron, who is very practical, is like, um, they might have some sort of map. They might be able to help us navigate this asteroid better. Cause she is, she is practical. Mm-hmm. Well, you might find one with their corpses because it really seems like that call ends with that lady dying. Okay, so I actually love it. It feels very, it's such a serious moment. You know, they're in the dark. It's cold. They got a distress call from people about to die. And then Shihana kind of on the edge of hysteria, is like, wait, people are calling us for help? How stupid is that? And she's not wrong. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, you don't really get to choose who you call for help. Especially not if, you know, the situation that's happening on the ground is happening. Yeah. I have to say, I think Emily, her character design in her... uh, in her passive state, which is what she's in right now, mm-hmm. she has these giant, like, things over her head that look like, like, Beats by Dre headphones. Yeah. And they glow blue when she's in her passive state and red when she hungers. <laughs> oh, but it just kept making me think of Jake Carroll's final runway show on the first season of Project Runway. Okay. I actually clipped a screenshot to show you because I knew I was going to bring this up and I had to show you. Yeah, that, that's that's basically it. He had all of his models, for, for people who I can't just show this image to, he, he had all of his models wear, like, giant headphones and also, like, kind of large outfits that are reminiscent of her, her, uh, her very scaly... Her beetly boppers. Her, uh, yes, I believe that is, in fact, the, uh... Scientific the term. The scientific term, her beetly boppers. So, Gigi Edley... Edgley? Ed- Edgley. Edgley got added to the main credits pretty uh, soon after being added to the cast. Yeah, I'm actually pretty sure this is the first episode where she is front credited. Oh, yeah. good for her. We don't see Johnny Mask face at all this uh, episode. I'm sorry, I should call him something else because we've got a John Billy Mask face. It's true. Stark is not in this episode. I think he gets one line like right near the end. Nope, Stark. No. You, you are incorrect. Stark is not on Moya anymore. And they cut his one line where he explains where he's going, but when he comes back, he he says where he's been. Oh, okay. Like every, I I guess they felt like they didn't have time for that one explanatory line. When, when he comes back, he'll be like, they'll be like, ah, you are back from that thing you went to go do. 
I mean, honestly, Moya's a pretty big ship. He could just be walking around to see what's up. That's true, yeah. But by, uh, by Johnny Maskface, I actually thought you meant Scorpius, who has quite, quite a bit to do in this episode. Yes, yes he does. Speaking of, when we come back from credits, we go to Crace's command carrier, and there's been, like, a shift in the balance of power, because Crace was on, or, you know... Not really. There should have been, because Crace was on Scorpius's gamic base. Now Scorpius is on his ship, so Crace should be obviously the one in charge. But that's not the way it's working out. I mean, did Crace forget like the way all of his dudes immediately turned on him, like last episode when Scorpius was like, "Hey guys, you know how much he sucks? I suck less," and they're all like, "Oh, you do suck less. Let's all turn on Crace." Also, Crace is like, "Let's strap him to the pain chair." Also, Crace is like, I'm totally in control of this situation. Scorpius strapped you into a torture chair that pulls out your deepest secrets last episode with no consequences. You think you're regaining any sort of upper hand? And Scorpius points it out. He's like, look, I know you're in charge, (laughs) but maybe you might think if you want to actually catch these people... You might want to think about focusing on the baby because they're, you know, they're in a mother that just gave birth and she's probably not going to want to abandon her baby. And Chris is like, no, no, keep doing what I say. I'm in charge. Me. I, uh, I, you know, I feel like Scorpius thinks he needs to be with Chris because Chris is the one who has experience at chasing John. But but look how that's gone for him. Right? Also, not always, but in this scene... It's real obvious that Grace is also the voice of Pilot. It's hard for me to not hear it, to be honest. But yeah, it, it is It is clear in this scene, definitely. I think it's because he's so... Whiny. I was going to say he's at his wit's end, and therefore his voice is a little higher. Hmm. And Pilot's, I'm pretty sure, is artificially pitched up. So when his voice gets higher, he sounds more like... More like Pilot. Yeah, Meanwhile, Aaron's having a Taranga Leela moment where she's like, well, I better, you know, I better go down to the surface with these guys because when I'm not around, my friends have a tendency to, you know, die. But I love this because Pilot's like, um, can you please stay because Moya needs you to to be here and help us with the baby. And Aaron's like, okay, I will do whatever Pilot needs to stay here and take care of the baby. And I appreciate the reminder that... Aaron is very loyal to the people who she considers in her circle. Hmm. You know, you talked about how John is ready to go be John Hero Face and save Emily, this alien he's never seen, because that's his character. Yes. And Aaron is going to go down because they might have navigation charts and they need navigation charts to get through this asteroid field. She does not care at all about this alien she has never met. But when it comes to Moya and now Moya's baby, she will do whatever it takes to keep them safe. And protect them because she is fiercely loyal to the people in her circle. I like this baby rat more than I like any of you. Yeah. It's a Bob's Burgers reference. It's true. It's true. It is a Bob's Burgers reference. It's true. It is a Bob's Burgers reference. And also, Aaron does care about this baby ship more than any other human, possibly except for these that are on the ship with her. Or human-esque creature. Yes. Any other sentient... She cares about this ship more than any sentient biped that she knows other than the ones on the ship. 
Oh, see, I, I'd stick with any human-like creature because she does not care what happens to Rigel. Oh, that's true. <laughs> but I mean, who does? It's true. Rigel has a very inflated sense of how much people care about his opinion. Yeah. And his well-being in general. There is a possibly redeeming moment in the final episode for Rigel. Wow. In a Farscape group I'm in, people were talking about whether that's enough of a redeeming moment for him. God. So down on the planet's surface, Zan is doing the very Zan thing of, like, orgasming over plants. She's so excited because there are all of these plants that's so lush because there are no herbivores on this planet. Curious that. Curious that. And She's like, oh my god, there's so many trees. Oh god, look at this grass. She's got kind of a little college student on ecstasy thing going on. Or like, the first time a college student gets stoned. Tomato, tomato. Dargo, meanwhile, is having serious, serious allergies. He's like, everything on here is an allergen. I hate it. You didn't have to come. Well, I mean, he I didn't mean, know it was going to be like that. Yeah, he just came because he wanted to kill something so he wouldn't get into one of his masturbation frenzies. God, Dargo is such a liability to the crew. Well, it's interesting to me because it seems like the, oh my god, I'm allergic to everything, would be something they would saddle a human character with. But they didn't. John is doing just fine. It's Dargo who's allergic to everything. Honestly, you'd think it would come up more in the plot, given the fact that they've went through the trouble of establishing it, but it kind of doesn't really. Well, I mean, this this is a pretty unique biome. I mean, like, the fact that he's having allergies doesn't affect the plot in any way. Oh, well, yeah. Well, other things start going down. Yeah. Speaking of, they hear a woman screaming. Like, and I thought maybe there might be pheromones or something that the creature uses that he'd be immune to because his nose is all stuffed. Oh, over. that would have been smart. No, that's not what happens. Anyway, uh, they hear a woman screaming and they go running and they find two people locked in, in combat. Emily, who they saw... And a hideous-looking alien creature with two mouths. <gasps> yeah. So they fire off their weapons and save the the girl who looks like Ben Browder's wife. Like, like a scaly, pointy version. Like yeah. if Ben Browder's wife was in a transporter accident with an iguana. Yeah, yeah. Like in a, you know, the fly-style situation. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying it's... I While mean, wearing headphones. While wearing headphones. <laughs> She's like, oh no, you have to save me. And they're like, all right, well, let's take her back to the ship and take her back to the ship. And she's like, is your ship safe? It can't possibly be safe. The creature is terrible. And they're like, well, let's go back to the ship. And she's like, please let me come to the ship. Yeah, she's begging them to take her to the ship while they are in the process of taking her to the ship. I feel like, did they... Someone took her overacting pills this morning. I actually felt like they probably, because that last bit is shot from a distance i'm like did they feel like they needed to adr more lines over that you didn't you were fine yeah like the whole thing does seem very adr so i don't know Uh, yeah i don't know what they felt like they needed to establish there but anyway they get back to the ship and in fact the guy with two mouths is back on the ship 
And Emily is like, no, ah, screams, horror movie, scream queen, screams. Oh no, he's going to get me. Don't let him get me. This is the situation that's going on right now. He's going to get me. Ah. So remember last episode when we talked about how Jago has a sword gun because you don't fire guns on a spaceship? Yes. Yeah. So first of all, Jago's wounded. And also he shot out an important part of the ship. And also John shot an important part of the ship. Oh my God. And no one shot the creature. And no one shot the creature. I do appreciate, though, that John is competent. He's like, oh, well, I'll just fix the ship. Uh, Zan will tend to your injury and I'll fix the ship. This is why you use your phony guns as clubs. Well, I mean, to be fair, the guy's pretty big, but yeah. Yeah, that probably would have been better. Would have been better. Back on Moya, Pilot needs Aaron's help because there is something wrong. And oh my god. Okay. Aaron is like, what is it, Pilot? And Pilot's like, Aaron, you're the only one that I can trust. And I'm just like, oh, oh. It's true. She's the only one who didn't cut off his arm. Right? Why John? John, yeah. But John's not here right now. Yeah. So Pilot tells Aaron that Moya can't really establish a connection with her child because... He's too busy listening to teen emo music and... Staying in his space room. Well, yeah, he's he's part peacekeeper, and so Moya, like, doesn't... Moya can't even relate to this half-peacekeeper kid that she gave birth to. Jeez, Moya, try not being racist for ten seconds. Starship racist. What? I, I, I... She was in... She was enslaved by peacekeepers. She was... She was... She was enslaved by peacekeepers and then impregnated by the peacekeepers who had enslaved her, so... Okay, fair. But I love that Pilot tells Aaron, you know, this ship is is a leviathan, but it's got this peacekeeper DNA inside of it, and we don't know what that means. Meanwhile, Aaron is a peacekeeper with Pilot DNA inside of her. She's, like, the perfect person to go talk to this ship. This is kind of a handy, uh, this is a handy thing to have in this situation. Honestly, who could have related to this ship other than Aaron? And we see her go over to the ship, and I know that in the credits we talk about a ship, a living ship. Yes. But the, the baby's gonna be named Talon. I'm just gonna say Talon. But Talon is a living ship. I love what they do with just... Just with the lighting, honestly, and the sound design. The lighting and the sound design make him feel like a living thing. It feels like Aaron is walking through, like, the chambers of a heart. Mm. As You know, it's all, it's all red washed, but just the way the light is, is pulsing around her and the way the sound is pulsing around her. And Aaron is just obviously enraptured by this ship and, like, charmed by this ship. I tweeted it last night but it's so true claudia black is out here acting opposite set dressing and she's killing it like she's having a discussion with a ship she's not even like people come on this show all the time and they're acting opposite muppets and i appreciate that's a difficult thing to do but erin is acting opposite of a cardboard flat i don't know i I think it was Patrick Stewart. I forget. There was an interview I saw with someone where they were talking about working on 
one of the Muppet movies where they were basically the only human character. Uh-huh. And they were like, after a while, you just kind of forget that you're not talking to people. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, have you ever seen Avenue Q on Broadway? Yes. Yes, I did. An interesting thing about the way Avenue Q is staged is that unlike, say, you know, Sesame Street, where they have built all of these sets specifically to hide the puppeteers, the puppeteers are just on stage. There are just people in black clothes operating the puppets. But after, like, five or ten minutes, you you do, like you said, stop paying attention to them, and you're, you're watching the puppets. It's really remarkable what a talented puppeteer can do. Yeah. But there's no puppeteer here. There's just a painted set and some lights. Erin tells Pilot that she needs more light. And, like, one of the buttons starts glowing. Because Talon hears Erin and is like, Ah, this is the button that turns the lights on. So Erin goes and she turns the lights on. And Pilot's like, How did you find that so quickly? And Erin is like, Ship told me. You know what's not in this episode enough? What? DRDs. There are hardly any DRDs in this episode. I don't know that there actually even are any. Yeah. it's a good point. But yeah, uh, Aaron is relating very well to the baby Leviathan because like it, she is part pilot, part... Peacekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that Peacekeeper ships have personalities that are encoded in them. Are there other ships also living ships? How does that work? No, I mean, Peacekeeper ships don't have personalities. It's just that this ship isn't completely a Leviathan. It, it, this ship is like the ship equivalent of a cyborg. Because it, the DNA, it's weird. They say there's Peacekeeper DNA in it, but of course, it, it never it never occurred to me to question this before this very second. Peacekeeper ships don't have DNA. The ship's DNA has been altered by the Peacekeepers to get it to grow weapons. Because Leviathans don't have weapons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, A, I think it would have been really funny if Crace ended up being the ship's baby's dad. I mean, I guess that would have kind of a dark implication, so never mind, but... Oh god, is Crace the dad? Is Crace the dad? Crace isn't the dad, but, well, we'll wait till next week. God. But also, there was a thing briefly where they were trying to do, like, uh... You know, post-crisis in DC Comics, they had this thing where, like, oh, Superman can't be the last son of Krypton if Supergirl's also there, and, you know, if there's a dog and a monkey and, like... I mean, it got to the point where it was, like, all the Kryptonians were... There's a whole bottle city of Kandor. Yeah. They're like, look, the whole last son of Krypton thing only works if there's one dude from Krypton, so they had it be a thing like, okay, there's only him. Uh, while there's only one Flash and it's Wally West, there's only one Green Lantern and it's Kyle Rayner. The thing is, there was already like 40 Green Lanterns. Uh-huh. And when Hal Jordan went evil, he didn't kill all of them, just the ones who weren't from Earth. So, uh, John Stewart, I don't know what they did the with Green John Lantern, Stewart. Green Lantern, John Stewart. Yes, not the comedian. He just disappeared, I think. I never know what's going on with John Stewart. I'm sorry, I've tried, but I just find comics John Stewart really boring because... He seems like his role is the Green Lantern who's competent and good at what he does. That is never interesting to read about. It's true. Yeah. But with Guy Gardner, my personal favorite Lantern, Uh although admittedly like the worst person ever, he didn't have his Lantern ring anymore, but they still wanted to do a series with him. Uh Uh-huh. So it turned out that he was part alien and 
the alien species had the magical ability to turn their arms into bio-guns. Oh, sure, why not? I, I it is it is kind of suspect that but I guess someone some peacekeeper is smart enough to write the code that grows guns into DNA. That seems mm. seems seems very creationist of you, Farscape, but okay. I'm I'm sorry, it's just it was stupid when they did it with Guy Gardner, but it was the nineties. I guess it was also the nineties during this. It's nineteen ninety nine, they slid it under the wire. You can just You can just turn your arms into guns and then shoot bullets made out of, I guess, your bones or whatever. You're growing special bones to shoot out of your arm guns. Do you have to load bullets into your arms? I don't... See, the thing is, I don't think he did. I think his arms just turned into... I don't know, maybe... Well, I mean, maybe he can just generate bullets the way squids can just generate ink. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it'd be like hard liquid created by your body or something i i don't know maybe like hard cartilage that you discharge i i like guy gardner but i don't like it enough to read the 90s run of warrior comics like i i'm okay pew pew also when his alien dna was revealed he also got a bunch of tattoos not like you do not by getting tattoos but they appeared on his body because Apparently, gun arms and natural tattoos are the two things that this species has. Well, aren't natural tattoos just markings? Yeah. Yeah. They're really like alien freckles. Yeah, that are like giant yellow circles and blue bands across your body. Yeah, alien freckles. God. So, back on Kreese's ship, Scorpius is all like, I'm the captain now. He like literally- Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. Is it too late to make a Captain Phillips reference? It is not. Also, I maybe we shouldn't be doing that as a culture because that was like a real thing that actually happened, right? That was real? Yeah. Yeah. Scorpius is like, I am taking over your ship because you are terrible at everything you do. And Christ is like... No, say what Christ is like. Chris is like, I'm not terrible. Just ask my first mate. Oh, oh. Chris is like, hey, hey, if I was bad at my job, then don't you think Peacekeeper High Command would have sent a message recalling me and I would have stopped this pointless Ahab-esque search? And Scorpius is like, they did. And you know that we know that they did. I was in your brain. I was in your brain. What are you thinking? Which I could find out, because I have the machine that lets me see your thoughts. Ser- seriously, Chris. The hell. Ugh. Back on the asteroid, John is talking to Emily about what happened to her people. And, uh... Yeah. And she's like, oh, it was so awful. They're all dead. Please don't ask me any more questions. The beast killed them all. Okay, so actually, what she says is all technically true. Yes. She says that her whole family was brought to the planet, that they all died, and that they died because of the ravenousness... Ravenousness? Sure. Sure. Because of the ravenousness of the creature. (gasps) But if you realize, as you do, that Emily is the creature, that is all 100% accurate. Emily also goes up and smells Zan, which don't... Don't smell people. Yeah, it's, it's... Rule one of meeting new people, don't smell them. Unless you're a dog, I guess. Oh. In fact, that's, that's, rule number one for dogs of meeting new people is smell them. 
Rule number one of I think rule number one of being a dog is when you meet a new person, flail at them with your giant dog arms. That is what dogs do. And Emily's like, wait, you don't smell like them. You smell like outside. And Zan very calmly says, yes, I am Flora. Good nose. And John's like, no, you're not. And Zan's like, really? This is what strains credulity for you, John. Really? (laughs) And he's like, but you have boobs. And she's like, trees have boobs sometimes, John. Didn't you ever see the last unicorn? And he's like, how do you know about the last unicorn? You're from space. And she's like, I don't know, John. We're going to start pulling at these threads now. Zan's like, are you tree racist, John? And John's like, no. Although, as it turns out, yes, John is tree racist. John is definitely tree racist, but also, like, his tone of voice, he's like, oh, 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 you're a tree. Interesting. This, this is awakening something. He's like, this is how you end up on some weird websites, John. He's like, hmm, photosynthesis, you say. Aaron walks in. John's just got a big picture of a Venus flytrap, you know, on his computer screen. He's like, can a guy get a little privacy? <laughs> it's like that episode of Friends that everyone hated. With the shark attack. Yeah. Where, where Chandler is watching porn, and then when Monica walks in, he quickly switches the channel to the Discovery Channel, so she thinks that he's into... That he's sexually attracted to sharks. And not that he quickly switched the channel when she walked in the room. Later, Friends was pretty bad. <laughs> like, I think that was the low point of the series for a lot of people. You, you really think the shark porn episode was the weak point? Well, I didn't say weak, I said low, but... Why, what do you think was the low point of Friends? Uh, Joey and Rachel trying to have sex. Yeah, that was the same uh, seasons, wasn't it? That was like, oh. all season eight. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. That was the weakest. That was the weakest season. That's probably true. I thought you meant that was the weakest episode. The weakest episode is the episode where Joey and Rachel try to have sex and they can't because they can't stop laughing about it. Is that the we? I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we were just better friends. <laughs> I guess the show realized this was a terrible plot and they couldn't figure out how to make us not be a couple because they spent so long setting it up. God, they did. They wasted Aisha Tyler on that plot. Oh, I know. It's okay. She was too good for that show. I do like, uh, I do like how they got her out of it, though, with Greg Kinnear just, like, swooping in and stealing her from Ross. Yes. Which was easy, because Greg Ross deserves nothing. Yes. And Greg Kinnear's a very attractive man. Oh, really? He doesn't do it for me. I mean, he's fine. He's fine. He's He's a lot... He's a lot more attractive than David Schwimmer. Oh, well, I mean, that. yeah. Not a Schwim fan. I am not a Schwim fan. So Emily and Zan and John are all going to go out onto the planet's surface and find the herbs that Zan needs to fix up Dargo, who is bleeding internally inside the ship. Why don't they just wail on him until he's not sick anymore? Because it's internal bleeding. There's nowhere for it to come out. So the blood would run clear just like inside his body. Cut him open, then. Get that internal blood out. Zan actually does tell him that he needs to chill out, or else she's going to have to cut him open. And he's like, uh, you're not a surgeon. And she's like, yeah, that's right. You don't want me to cut you open. She's done some surgery-adjacent things in that show before. She's definitely done surgery-esque things. So, on the surface, the two-mouthed thing, who I think we've already spoiled is not the creature. Eh. Well... 
it, it it goes back and forth. This is one of those, oh, the real monster's man, but also the giant monster that we created. Yes. The real monster's man, but we also did create a giant monster that's out there killing people, so maybe we should take care of that. I mean, I, I, well, you, Max, know from when we watched this episode earlier that I am 100% on Emily's side. Like, I, I need a t-shirt that says, Emily did nothing wrong. Maybe don't eat all the herbivores on the planet, then. The biosphere wasn't designed for them, so there there were not enough herbivores for them to eat and stay alive. You're sentient. You can breed them. Like... They're they, they they don't know their their race isn't their race hasn't developed husbandry apparently. You're saying Emily's blaming a lot of people for her problems. By a lot of people, you mean the people who kidnapped her ancestors and brought them to this planet for the sole purpose of having them decimate the biome and then die out. How many of them did she? Uh, how many of her all people of did them. they bring? Oh, so I thought you were going to ask how many she ate. No. Because she ate all of them. Uh, yes, I know. She ate her whole family. Spoilers. <sighs> Alright, so anyway, the creature- Have you ever tried not eating your family? If I was dropped on an alien planet, <laughs> I would simply not starve to death. Anyway, the creature- Also, if they had this ability to call other people for help earlier- They didn't. They didn't have that ability until Brini and his ship landed. Because she was calling from his ship. Oh. Yeah. Brini the... has awful timing. I mean... He he showed up just after she finished eating the last of her family. You but know, before she died. But before she died, which apparently would take a few hours according to this episode. You're right, that is terrible timing. <laughs> anyway, uh... The creature with two mouths, who's Bernie, he grabs Zan and takes off. She's really feeling the burn. And the creature runs off and John, the, the, Emily, Emily runs off and John chases Emily instead of protecting Zan. And of course, Dargo is not happy about that when they're back on the ship. Dargo's like, um, how come you didn't save Zan? And John's like, um, because I run after the thing that's running and that's that's my human instinct also zan can kill people with her mind zan's gonna be fine yeah emily tells john that the creature will take zan to his killing grounds and eat her there and no one's happy about this so dargo's like hey john go rescue zan now have emily take you to where she is and rescue her so that is the plan now. You're right, John John spends a lot of this episode running back and forth between the killing grounds, the ship, and Bernie's uh Dead family place. Oh, lab? Bernie's lab, yeah. Technically I wasn't wrong. It's where his dead family is. Yeah. At the eating place, Emily is like sniffing at John and she's like, Wow, your bones smell tasty and then she enters her food state which involves her headphones turning red and spines jutting out of her body and like a little fan fanning out across her back and like the spikes on the back of her head growing like super long yeah and then bernie jumps in and saves john 
after jumping on him. Well, he jumps on John, he grabs John's pulse pistol, and he shoots the pulse pistol to scare Emily away. And then it turns out that Bernie can't breathe really well in this air, so he has, like, hardly any oxygen to form words. But he, he forms enough words to say, I am not your enemy. <sighs> and John's like, okay, I'm John Rosavi, I get it, even though... I've seen a Star Trek episode before. I've seen a Star Trek or two, but maybe John does not have the whole story now. Back on Krace's ship, Scorpius and Krace are having this weird showdown where Scorpius is like, yeah, I told your ship to go the direction I wanted to go. And Krace is like, um, no, we need to go the direction I need to go. And it's just like a huge battle of... It's just the same scene we got last episode or the episode before... Where Grace is like, oh, this is my ship and everyone's going to do what I say. And Scorpius Scorpius is like, how sure of that are you? Yeah, Scorpius is like, everyone hates you and you're so, so weak. Weakling, weakly, weak boy. It's weird. They really feel like they need to kind of tear Grace down to get him to the point he's at next episode. But honestly, the things that happen next episode could have moved cleanly from what happened at the end of the episode before this one. Remember, the episode before this one ends with Crace strapped into the Aurora chair and Aaron, like, turning it on to kill him. We could have gotten Crace from there to where he is at the beginning of the next episode. I honestly think the problem was they had this episode in between and it needed to be like, well, what's Crace doing for all of those hours in between? So we're just repeating the same plot point then. Yep. Yep. Anyway, then we go to Bernie's lab, where... He has plant samples from across the universe, because he is a space botanist, and he's been collecting samples, and his people collect samples, and they're a science race, and... He's a pharmacobotanist, though. He, like, turns plants into drugs. We all knew this guy in college, come on. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Also, it, it turns out that Emily is a calcium She's a boned vampire. She eats bones. Have you seen that episode of Futurama with the bone vampire? Because it's that. I don't remember that. Is that after they got back? Yeah. We should watch it. it, it it's it's fun. I haven't watched a lot of the Comedy Central episodes. And, and They're I, mostly not good. Yeah, and I haven't rewatched a lot of them. Yeah, we should watch that one after this. It's not terrible. Yeah, I mean, the ones after they came back aren't the best. And they're certainly not, on the whole, as good as the Fox ones. The Susan Boyle one is awful. It's like a Family Guy level, like, episode. Um, the same thing with the iPod one, where I'm like, this is this was dated when it was coming out. The iPod one was the second one they did when they got back. Although I, which I Although know, it, it has the iconic meme moment. It me. has shut up and take my money. Yeah, yeah. Also, a YouTube channel that I watched called Johnny Two Cellos. Mm-hmm. He does reviews of cartoons. And he just did a review about the episode The Late Philip J. Fry, which is the one that aired after the iPod episode. And that's the one with the time machine and they, like, cycle through time. Yeah, the time loops. Which, I didn't like that episode. Oh, really? Okay, I really like that episode. And and Johnny Tuchel is actually making the point in his video that 
the Comedy Central episodes probably would have died right there after the iPod episode if they hadn't had such a great episode to follow it. I really like that episode. It's depressing. Main timeline Leela died alone. I That is depressing! That's true! But it's still a good episode. Plus, then it gets to get referenced in that episode of Disenchantment. Yes. Yeah, God, yeah. I, it just depresses me, because main timeline Leela died... And, like, Fry had to kill his reboot self in order to maintain the timeline, and it's like, that's a little dark for Fry. That, yeah, that that's a, that's literally a Rick and Morty joke. Like, that's literally a thing that happens in Rick and Morty. Yeah. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about Farscape. So, Bernice talking about how everybody was killed by Emily, all, all of the people on his, on his mission, including his mate... And he's super sad about it, and he's super angry because there weren't supposed to be any predators here. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Hmm, indeed. Okay, I do love this, though, because John's like, well, what's her weakness? How can we take her out? And Bernie's like, her weakness is that when she's full, she becomes sluggish. So... She just needs to eat one of us, and then the others can kill her. Okay. Dude. Dude! Also, how do you think this is going to end well for you? Like, you're the one who's not a member of the main cast. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But John's like, um, we're not just going to feed her someone and then kill her. And Bernie... We did... Come on! We left Rigel up on the ship! <laughs> yes. Although, does he... Does I was going to say, bones? he's a fish! Does he have bones, or does he have, like, cartilaginous... No, he probably no, has bones. No, fish have bones. Although maybe he's maybe it's a kiff situation and he's supported by a system of fluid filled bladders. Well, like because they love the fart jokes when it comes to Rigel. Oh. Although would having more bladders make you? No, it wouldn't. Well, no, because they're not going to leak air, especially if they're fluid filled. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if they're fluid filled and they're meant to, uh, you know, serve the purpose of bones. Yes. I wonder if that's a real thing with real animals or if it's just something they made up for Kiff. I'm pretty sure they just made it up for Kiff. I mean, it's a good idea if you're god in designing animals, I guess. Yeah. Nature has some pretty weird stuff, so. Although you have to wonder, like, a bone that breaks can be set and healed, but, like, if a bladder breaks and all the fluid comes out? Maybe it's like a horse situation. You mean if somebody breaks a bone, you have to shoot them? Yeah. Yeah, that's not great. That's... Well, horses aren't well designed and they're still around for some reason. I know people like horses. I'm fine. I don't have any major things against horses. Don't you? It sounds like you do. Without horses, how could I make all of my awesome Comet the Super Horse jokes on Twitter? Or your Emma Frost blowing up horses jokes. (laughs) Uh, It's funny because it's not actually what happened. She didn't blow up the horse. She set it on fire and then telepathically stopped its heart. God. Anyway, back on Talon, Aaron is talking to Talon, and she's like, hey, I know that you're part peacekeeper, and, like, part of you inherently knows that you're part peacekeeper, but the peacekeepers are super bad, so when they call you, do not answer them, please. Do not go talk to the peacekeepers. And she, you know... I'm your mom now, Talon. I mean, she's more like a cool aunt. Okay, if I give you this wine cooler, will you promise not to tell the cops and to call your mom? Definitely, more like that. Anyway, she 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 bonds with the ship. It's 
it's genuinely lovely. Like, when she gets down on her knees and she's, like, talking to the, like, little light in the middle of the command carrier on Talon, it's beautiful. And I love it. And we, 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 we don't deserve Claudia Black. Yeah. Uh, again, she's, she's a really good actor. She's head and shoulders above Crichton Wife. Okay, she's doing, she's. She's fine. she's basically the baby from the dinosaur show well i mean she she has to like scream about things and 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 she's hungry she's the baby she's hungry she's the baby from the dinosaur show she's hungry she wants to eat all the time how weird is it that jessica walters was the mom in that it's amazing is what it is I was thinking when we were watching this show that much like when we did Welcome to Storybrooke and we talked about how Lana Perea really elevated the dialogue she was given and mm-hmm. made the show what it was. Yeah. Claudia Black really elevates scenes that could have really, really not worked with a lesser actress. Oh, yeah. God, she is so good. It's weird that she never... I mean, it's it's sad that she never really got out of the sci-fi genre hole. I mean, I'm sure she's... I'm sure she's doing just fine for herself, though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you have this sort of role, you're set for life. Although, maybe not so much now, because conventions are the main thing. I don't know. I guess you're on a cameo or whatever it's called. That thing where you pay a celebrity. It's called cameo. I don't like that that exists. It's that thing where you, for those of you who aren't in the know, it's a service where... For like 50 bucks, you can have a B or C list star record a video message for you. Or or D or E or F list. Yeah. You want Cody from the real world to tell you to have a rockin' birthday? Just 15 bucks. I've never seen the real world. I'm assuming there was a Cody on it. <laughs> I'm sure at some point there was a Cody on the real world. You can also get Kato Kalen for like, I think, I think it was like $150. So that's how I'm ranking money now whenever something is expensive i'm like god damn you could get three kato kaylin cameos for that money Ooh, alliteration yeah also i want to say that lana Perea is on it but her cameos because the cameos are a, a lot of them i don't know how it works because i've never bought one i don't know if you if they're all public or you have to choose to make them public or not mm. but a lot of the cameos that people do are public and if you watch the Lana Perea ones, it genuinely seems like she's not trying to to do it to make money. She's doing it to connect to her fans. She seems to genuinely care about the people she's talking to, and she, like... So either she's a really good person or she's a really good actress? Yes. I mean, we know she's already a really good actress. I like to assume she's she a She might person. also... Yeah, she seems like a really good person, too. She seems to really have concern and care for her fans. And I appreciate that, you know, well, as a fan. Well, Once Upon a Time fans love her or hate her. There's not really a middle ground. Do people hate her? Does anyone hate her? Oh, yeah. There are some people who really don't like her because, you know, she technically raped a guy in season one. As we talked about at length in Welcome to Storybrooke... That's discontinuity. Yeah. But there are people who are mad that she took over the show, and I'm like, would you prefer What would the show have been without her? Yeah, let's focus on Mary effing Margaret. So I, on Reddit, I'm, I'm in a Once Upon a Time subreddit that I post on, but I, uh, there's also a subreddit called Evil Queen that's just posting pictures and talking about how amazing Lana Perea is. See, that's gotta be good for your ego. 
one would imagine. I would think so. Although, at the same time, I'm sure a lot of fans cross the line from, like, admiring to creepy. Oh, yeah. So, you know, there's that, too. So, John is talking to Mouthy Mouthface. Bernie. Bernie. Yeah, they stop hearing the screams of Emily, who, yes, you're right, is screaming a lot. And Bernie's like, yeah, she probably went back to your transport ship to eat Dargo. And John's like, God. Good luck. He's going to taste terrible. Well, yes. But also, oh, now I got to go back to the cargo ship and save Dargo? I just came here to save Xan. And one of the reasons I could never really get into Skyrim is because it seemed like most of the game was just walking from place to place. And I feel like that's what's, that's most of what John's doing off screen here. It is a lot of this episode. Yeah, it's not. That's not a lie. Well, Brittany says that he wants John to stay behind and guard his his lab, and he and Zan will go save Dargo. He also demonstrates one of his devices that he has in the lab. The plant shrinking machine. Yes, he has all of these samples of plants, and the way he's able to store them all is by shrinking them all down. Okay, Brainiac. It is very Brainiac. I'm just saying, keep in mind, he has a machine that shrinks and grows plants. So, you know. Okay, John makes a joke about his aunt having one, which I kind of assumed was a reference to, have you ever seen those, like, dehydrator things? Where... Oh, yeah, I bet it was. Like, those jerky-making machines. Yeah, I love those, because you can put, like, you can put, like, fruit in them, and then you get, like, really small dry fruit. Yeah! I thought John was just, like, moving his mouth to hear himself talk, but I bet you're right. I bet he was talking about a dehydrator. That's funny. Yeah. I would ruin one of those if I ever had it, because I'd be like, ooh, I'm going to put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in here. And oh, see that's so gross. You get a little tiny peanut butter and That's jelly. not what you would get. Uh, it's not like when you microwave a chip bag and then you get a tiny chip bag because the cellophane retracts. No. It's really cool. You end up with these, like, tiny, tiny chip bags. But you can only put them in for a few seconds because they technically have, they have metal in them. Yeah. 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 Anyway, now John's alone in the lab and uh-oh. Or, I guess, not alone, because, uh-oh, guess who's there? Uh-oh, Emily took the fast travel uh, trait, what do you call it in yeah. D&D? Yeah. The feet. Feet, yeah, the fast travel feet. So yeah. she's there, and she is ready to, uh... Exposit? She... Oh, I was gonna say, she's, uh, gonna have a... I couldn't think of a good way to merge Crichton and Barbecue. Or John and Barbecue. A john Barbecue. A Ben browder A A Browder-Buffet. It's literally a BBQ. Ben Browder Q. <laughs> but yeah, no. But she's not going to roast him. She's going to eat him. So it's really more like a Ben Browder Bone Buffet. Well, his ribs. She wants ribs. She's in the mood for ribs. Okay. Enough wordplay, because actually it's none of these things. She wants to tell... She is going to eat him, but she wants him to understand why she's eating him. Which, does it matter? Like... Oh, I understand why you're eating me now. I guess I'm cool with it. Okay, she's not going to eat him, though. Or at least she's going to try not to eat him. She tells him the deal, which I think we've alluded to but not actually said. Yes. Which is that Bernice people brought all of these creatures to the planet so that they would eat all of the herbivores so that the planet would become this lush plant planet. And then all of... Emily's people would die off because there was nothing left to eat, and then Bernice people could land and, you know, just walk around this empty planet, which is so not cool. This is a sentient species. They 
brought a sentient species here to terraform the planet knowing that they would die. For longer than I care to admit, I thought that Bernie's people were also plant people and that was the reason why they dropped them off to kill off all the herbivores before they went to the planet. No, they're not plant people. Yeah, I, I know because she ate his family. But shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't that have been the thing? I mean, well, but if they were plant people, then Emily would have no interest in eating them because they wouldn't have bones the way Zan doesn't have bones. I'm assuming she'd want to kill them because she was angry. That may be, yeah. Oh, uh, so as we also mentioned, Emily ate the rest of her family to survive. And we have the disturbing line, in the end, we only had each other. Oof. Yeah, right? That is a, that is a very heavy line. Honestly, I really love the character. I'm Emily doesn't come back, and I'm so sad. I love this character, and I love that she she is the monster. She's the monster that you would see on these shows. But I'm on her side. Like she just needs to eat. How can how can you fault something that's just trying to eat? I don't know. I if I was in a bad situation and I had to eat my family. I personally don't think I would. Okay, but Emily is young, okay? She's, like, the young one. So I have to assume that her parents were like, hey... Cool with it. Well, yeah, I'm sure they were like, when we starve to death, please eat our bones to live because you're our daughter and that matters to us. Yeah, I can totally see parents saying something like that. Okay, but it, it all went down to this one family. They put enough of these things on the planet to wipe out all the herbivores. And she wasn't, like, stalking other... Okay, honestly, when she does the distress call to Moya, she says that her group of 40 has been taken out. Or 40-something, like 47 or 48. Yeah. I assumed that was how many were on the planet. So uh, that's how many I assumed she killed on eight. How small is this planet? It's an asteroid. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Look, some of the animals survived. Not to keep going back to Futurama. I mean, she is basically Nibbler. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and Emily, by the way, she is sentient, so she tells John, like, she doesn't want to eat him because then she knows that she'll just eat him and then there will be nothing left to eat. Well, I mean, his ship's still here. I guess he hasn't uh, repaired it yet. Okay, but... She, she's sentient, but not smart enough to fly around in a ship. Also, she doesn't know where she's going. What she wants is she will restrain herself and not eat anyone, and then please just punch Bernie in the face until he tells you where her planet is. And then take her to her planet where presumably there's a sustainable food source and she can live on her planet. Presumably. I mean, you gotta think there is. Hmm. And, and also, presumably, they don't eat sentient life in general. Presumably, they eat, like, you know, cows and stuff. Yeah. Like we do. She could be like, hey, so do you have, like, rats or anything on your ship that I they could... They wouldn't, though. Space rats. There's no such thing as space rats. Is there? Is there no such thing as space rats? There are no space rats. What would you call Rigel, then? He's a space fish. We go from there back to Talon, where uh, Aaron is, like, loving being on Talon. and feels like home. Yeah. And then Rigel has to be, like, a jerk. And be like, hey, why don't you stay there? Because we don't want your peacekeeper stink on Moya. And she's like, hey, 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 shut up. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean... Nobody likes you, Rigel. You you are not in a position to throw shade at anyone else. Even Chiana. Chiana's new here and she's like, Rigel, shut up. Aaron will just shoot you, so shut up. I, and, I, and then Rigel, like, f- 
fish grabs her rear end and she's like, and I'm like, that seemed unnecessary. I feel really bad for Gigi Edgley that in these early episodes, they're pairing her with Rigel. They, they don't know what to do with her yet. They don't have like a cool brother sister dynamic with her and John yet. So, uh, they're pairing her with Rigel who keeps on sexually harassing her, even though there's no way he'd be attracted to her. Cause she's not a fish thing. Well, actually, I, I kind of... some sort of deviant. I think Rigel's a deviant who's attracted to... Uh, mammals. Mammals, yeah. I do think that. Um, yeah. Also, this really reminds me of... In the anime Ronma One Half? Yes. There's a character who's, like, a pervert. And it's supposed to be funny that he's always, like, grabbing and assaulting women because oh, he's tiny. tiny old man. Because he's a tiny old man, so it's funny. Because... Theoretically, there's no threat because he's so tiny. Except the thing is, he's also like a master martial artist in a world where, you know, that makes you essentially a god because you can do whatever as long as you've studied the martial art of creating mountains through punching. It makes me so uncomfortable and it makes me so uncomfortable that it's played for laughs. And it's the same thing here with Rigel, with the exception that you can really just chuck Rigel across the room because he's a fish person. Yeah, he's not someone who are like, oh, you have to humor him because he's just a harmless old man, except he could kill any one of the main cast with a single punch. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I feel like the show thinks it's funny because he's not a threat, but it's not. It's not funny. Although, he is not a threat. I mean, all you have to do is take him off of his puppeteer's hand, and then what's he gonna do? Nothing! She's <laughs> gonna lie there limp because the puppeteer's not handling him. Anyway, back on the ship, John shows up and is like, oh, hey, hey, Bernie, you know how you just left me to get eaten by Emily? Guess what? She didn't eat me. She backstoried me. Uh, Now, I'm going to kill you unless you have a different story that'll make me change sides again. And he's like, um, she killed my mate. And She killed my family. And John's like, you already told me that. Yeah. If you don't have something new, if you didn't very quickly have a new family, which she also ate, then I can't be on your side. Zan tries to jump in and defend him, though, and it's like, yeah, but John, look at how many plants there are. And John's like, what? No! No one cares about plants, Zan! Zan, in fact, right now, I would say I hate plants and everything that is even a little bit like a plant or maybe evolved from plants. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, John goes on this weird anti-plant rant where he reveals how secretly plant racist he's been. Zan's like, I'm a plant. Just like, oh, I forgot. It's like, you forgot? You just found out 15 minutes ago. I mean, I feel like that's a good reason to forget. I mean, I guess it's still fresh information. Although, I do I do like her attitude where she's like, oh no, they ate herbivores. Ugh. Yeah, right? Because, like, herbivores to Zan, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I I am still kind of side-eyeing Zan, because like, we're, we're evolved from... We're evolved from mammals, but I'm pretty sure John wouldn't have cared if she ate mammals. It It's it's whether or not you're sentient. That's the line. On the line where you become sentient, that's when it's bad to kill things. So it's okay for her to kill non-sentient herbivores... I know some vegetarians would disagree with me, but Mm. the point is, these plants are not sentient, Zan. It's not okay that we sacrifice this whole group of sentient people for the plants. I don't know. I mean, think about the whole spider ham thing. 
from Into the Spider-Verse? And from Marvel Comics. What's the Spider-Ham thing? On his planet, humans aren't sentient. Okay, well, it's interesting that you brought up ham. Because, well, I do eat ham and pork... Pigs are really smart, and I actually feel like we probably shouldn't. Yes. Like, I feel like they're smart enough that there will probably be some awkward questions at some point. We're probably going to uplift pigs pretty soon, and then be like, ooh. I think it's very optimistic that you think society is going to be in a place where it can uplift anything. Yeah, it's fair, fair. Although apparently those feral hogs are running around just eating people all willy-nilly, so... 30 to 50 feral hogs. Look, here's the deal. I do eat pork. I'm a hypocrite for saying this, but pigs are really smart. They're probably too smart to eat. We should probably not be eating them. So, they decide, okay, we're going to just toss this guy out and take off. Like, let's just go. Forget it. Yeah, F this planet. Forget all of this. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Mm. Dargo calls him a tree hugger. Which, speaking of convergent evolution, mm. is a weirdly... that That's probably something he came up with on his own. Like, he probably didn't hear John use the phrase tree hugger. Well, it's a translation, so there's probably a... Are there hippies on his planet? How would... Well, I don't think... He doesn't mean hippie. He, he, he literally means person who is way into plants. Maybe a little too into plants. Hmm. Bernice says basically the only thing that's going to save him at this point, which is he has the asteroid charts that they want that can lead them through the asteroid. Yeah. And John's like, okay, fine. And Zan's going to go with him back to his lab to get the charts, and then they're not going to kill him. They're going to take him off the plan- off the asteroid. I love Zan still, like, kind of cold to John because he said plants are dumb. It's, it's news to me how much John hates plants. John is John is not into plants. It's it's true. So okay, back on the carrier. I I I do. I know. I said the last time we had a carrier scene that they were all unnecessary, and that's still true. But I do like this one where Scorpius is like, "Hey, Craze, guess what? I'm the captain now again." Oh no! I was I was gonna cover little ears. Hey, Craze, guess what? Fuck you. Uh, I decided that what's going to happen is we're going to go back to Peacekeeper High Command and court-martial you, because whatever. Because I'm a better Peacekeeper than you, even though I'm a half-breed. Well, so speaking of, then Kreis attacks him and is like, grabs him by the throat and is like, tossing him all around the room. And then Scorpius, like... Hulks out. Hulks out, and... and He takes off his Z-band and just throws Krace around the room. Oh, thank you for referencing Disney's Zombies. One of my favorite movies of all time. Unironically, seriously, not kidding. Watch it if you have Disney+. Plus. The sequel's out now. They deal with werewolves. You can tell they're... Sort of. Yeah, they're werewolves in that they howl sometimes and look like, I don't know, vaguely punk kids. Um, excuse me. They have purple eyeliner and magic space stones that power them. Just like werewolves. I want credit for calling the teaser. I know you gave me credit on Twitter, but I want it here, too, for calling the- We were, like, ten minutes into the movie, and Max is like, can't wait for the- 
should I, can I spoil zombies? Do you feel like it's a thing we can spoil? Yes, I'm sure we can spoil it, especially on this show. Max is like, I can't wait for the third movie where we find out about Addison being an alien, and then that's what the third movie's gonna be! Well, I mean, to be fair, they're like, oh, the space rock that made the zombies into zombies and the werewolves into werewolves fell from space, so aliens. I was really, I was really pushing even, because aliens don't feel like they fit in with an urban fantasy setting. I was really pushing the idea that Addison was a fairy up until the end, but that's just because I've been like tainted by true blood. Yeah. Although I'm hoping they go for a, the planned finale of X-Files where the aliens invade and they use all of the creatures they found over the course of the show to fight off the aliens. That'd be cool. That would be super cool. I'm assuming they're just going to have a dance battle with the aliens and then the aliens will be their friends, judging by how the first two movies went. Yeah, the aliens will get to go to college with them and they'll all go off to college together. Yes. And then they'll be recast for an attempted fourth uh, movie, which no one will like. Oh, is this a high school musical thing? That was a high school musical reference. Although I don't think that actually ended up happening. I know that the third movie introduced like, oh, look, it's new Troy and new... No, wait. Not, not a new, they didn't recast Zac Efron, right? It was just a new basketball player who was Troy-esque? Yeah, yeah. Okay. They're like, because Zac Efron's graduating and like he's handing, he's like, oh, I guess this guy's going to be basketball team captain once I'm gone. This guy who's going through my character arc from the first movie. I mean, to be fair, that's basically what they did with Glee. Yeah. Uh, and look how well that worked. I mean, what's your face became Supergirl. It's fine. So Scorpius, as you said, hulks out. And not only, like, his voice deepens. It goes from his normal kind of high-pitched voice to being in, like, several lower registers pitch. deeper. Yeah, yeah, like, like electronically lowered several pitches. And he he overpowers Crace, and then he gets mad at him. He's like, ugh, you made me remind you of how much stronger I am because I'm not Sebation. I'm a different race, which is way, way stronger than Sebation. And it's like... He's embarrassed about it, but also, you know, he is stronger. Yeah. He tells Krace to save his energy for fighting off his executioner. Oof. Scorpius is kind of a badass villain. Way more of a badass villain than Krace could ever have hoped to be. I mean, Krace is basically Team Rocket. Krace is somehow- Krace is is Team Rocket and the Leviathan is Pikachu? Yes. Well, actually, I think John's Pikachu in this. uh... Gotta catch them all. Except Team Rocket's more competent because they show up in every episode. How weird is it that the leader of uh, Team Rocket's name is Giovanni because uh, Nintendo wanted Team Rocket to basically be the Mafia? I did not know that. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So it's been a while and John goes to the lab to find Xan and instead he finds Bernie who's all like, Oh, the creature betrayed you. She came here and she grabbed Zan and took off. She probably went to the eating place, so you better go to the eating place to get her. And John's like, oh, okay, I'll go to the eating place. Because I'm a Labrador this episode. And he's like halfway to the eating place, and then he's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Zan's a plant. She doesn't have bones. Yeah. It, it really, to be fair, he's been like... Wait a second. Penguins can't fly. Penguins can't fly. That's the Critic episode, where uh, Jay's father realizes that the pilot of his plane is a penguin. (laughs) To be fair to John, he's been through a lot this episode. And also, he's gotten a lot of information this episode. He's got a lot of cardio this episode. Yeah, he has. His, like, little Fitbit is... I guess we don't do Fitbits anymore. His little Apple Watch is, like, full circles. And, yeah, he's, like... He even just call himself an idiot. He's like, oh, oh, damn it, I forgot. Sam doesn't have bones. So he runs back to the lab. So back on the ship... 
Aaron's like, so how'd it go? And Pilot's like, well, uh, turns out that the baby did call its mom, and now they're, uh, they've decided to be... Bonded. They're bonded now. They're going to be Lorelai and Rory Gilmore, but as spaceships. Yeah, I mean... Are you sad because of something that happens in the future? Yes. You'll see why I'm sad. Uh, the point of this scene, though, is also that Talon is a super show-breaking ship. He's fast, he has weapons, like, pretty soon everything's gonna be smooth sailing because they're gonna have a giant ship with weapons, but he's not gonna leave his mother, his mother's not gonna leave him, so for now, they are all still stuck. So, Aaron is like, hey, are uh, Dargo and John and Zan back yet? And no, they are not, so Aaron's like, ugh, do I have to go down and save them? It turns out she doesn't. Like, they are going to come back on their own, but I like that she's like, uh, all right, well, just so the viewers know, if they don't come back, I will go get them. I'm not going to propose we take off without them, because that's where we are as far as bonding on a ship now. Mm. I'm not Rigel. She's not Rigel. Although it might not be a great idea, because then she'll be leaving people who are entirely willing to leave on the ship all by themselves. I, Pilot and... Moya and and now Talon will not leave without her, though, and I think she knows that. Yeah. Down on the planet, Emily goes to find Dargo, because remember, now Dargo's alone. And she's got her... Okay, her little headphones are blue now, because she's not in her feeding state. Yeah, apparently she can repress it if she tries really hard. Okay, so here's the deal, and this is such a cheat. It doesn't feel like a cheat when we're watching the episode because we're watching it on video on demand and we're not having commercials, but Dargo sees that she is in her sated state and is like, oh my god, you're in your sated state. I know what that means. And she's like, yes, you know what that means. Commercial break. And then we come back from commercial and she's like, I burned off all of my calcium reserves so that I could turn off my hunger instinct and talk to you. And I'm like, that is such a cheat. It's not a cheat for us because those second, those those lines are seconds apart and not, you know, two minutes apart. But come on. Come on, Farscape. Anyway, yeah, she, she tells Dargo that she burned off her calcium so that she could talk to him and basically be like, please let me not starve to death. And, I mean, yeah, right? I'm on Emily's side. It's not like you're using both your arms. Come on. All she wants is to not starve to death. And Targo, okay, I know I was just like, let's not eat sentient life. But Dargo's like, hey, tell you what, uh, as soon as we take off, the peacekeepers are going to are gonna see our signature, our like energy signature, and come look for us here. So uh, eat them. When they land, just eat all of them. Fair. And Emily's like, all right, I will try very hard to control my hunger until they get here, and uh, then I'll eat them. Which, from Emily's point of view, what's the difference between eating Dargo and eating the Peacekeepers? Like, we know that the Peacekeepers are bad and deserve to be eaten. I'm sorry, I know. A lot of folks deserve to die. God. To quote uh, Little Shop of Horrors. So, not to fall down another thing, but... I know it's very dramatic and all, but all I can think about for all of her lines is Jenna Maroney's uh, character 
on 30 Rock, Rock after she uh, after she gained all of that weight over summer break, and they come up with a new character for her called Me Want Food. <laughs> it just kills the drama because she's basically a dramatic version of Me Want Food. I feel like I I'm getting a lot of pathos off the fact that Emily is literally striving to death. I. Uh, it's fine. Anyway, back in Bernie's lab, John's like, hey, uh, Zan, where's Zan? And Bernie's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe Emily just killed her for fun, even though she didn't eat her. And John's like, okay, I know I've been being dumb this whole episode, but, uh, no, tell you what, she's in one of your sample jars! You couldn't wait 15 goddamn minutes. You had to just shrink Zan and put her in one of your plant tubes. Yeah. Yeah. So, John overpowers Bernie and uh, takes the takes the sample tube and puts it in the machine to make Zan Zan again. And he accidentally cuts Bernie in half while doing this. Okay, so a couple of things. Whoops. <laughs> yes. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, I just have to point out that the machine that makes Zan big again does the Sailor Moon thing where it makes her skin appear, like, a split second before her clothes. And I just... It, it's good to know that there's a there's a tradition in adult animation that the, you have your horny animators drawing the women. Turns out there are horny graphic artists, too. So Renee is like, no, John! And somehow jumps in front of the beam that's making Zan big again. And it cuts him in half for some reason. Like, there was one place for you to not jump, and you jumped there. But... Whoops! <laughs> yeah, and and Zan, who is very bloodthirsty this episode, is like justice. Okay, Zan. I mean, you didn't seem to he, care all that much. He did shrink her down and put her in a tube. Point. Now that this personally affects me, <laughs> I'm mad. Yeah. And then she gets a little horny from the transformation sequence. She's like, "Well, that felt weird, John." I'm still tingling, John. You want to have some brain sex before we deal with the bone vampire? And he's like. Now, no. I want to point out, there's a time jump there. We don't know if they had brain sex or not. They might have had brain sex. That is true. So back on Crisis Command Carrier, we find out that uh, they have, in fact, identified the asteroid where John and Zan and Dargo are. So they're on their way there. So uh, we better wrap up this asteroid plot pretty quickly. Yeah, let's let's send some red shirts. But back on the asteroid, <laughs> it... Em- Emily can't control her hunger anymore. It's too it's it's too much. She can't do it. She said she was going to try and she tried, but she can't. They wait way too long to tell her about the dead guy who's just hanging out over there. I mean, what were you going to do with those bones? I'm sorry, John, were you saving those bones for later? Let her eat the bones. Yeah, instead they're like, "We're sorry, there's nothing we can do to help you." And she's like, "Uh, dying. Uh, at least I die myself." I wouldn't no, I wouldn't starve to death to save my family, but I'll starve to death to save these strangers. Yeah, awkward. But John's like, oh, duh, as she's literally dying in front of him. Oh, duh, there's a corpse, like, five feet away from us, and also there's some people coming down to the planet. You can go to town on them. I'm surprised that in her hunger state she didn't smell the bones of Bernie. Mm. I'm surprised that John seemed to have an issue with uh, that possessy disease thing killing all those peacekeepers but he's totally cool with this lady kill with this lady eating them yeah that's a good point i mean i guess if the disease had boobs then maybe well to be fair oh wow harsh harsh on john but to be fair 
the disease thing was going to go kill the peacekeepers before he had been on... Before he'd been in the torture chair? Before he'd been in the torture chair. Yeah. I think that might have changed his mind a little. So we get a little debriefing, you know. Again, yeah, Aaron, Aaron's telling John how awesome Talon is. Yeah. And John's telling her that he never wants to go to another plant <laughs> asteroid again because he's so gosh darn plant racist. But No <laughs> lessons were learned. And Xan is super sad because, you know, she doesn't get to study all the plants. And I... I like this. This should have been built into the episode more. Zan kind of doesn't get to do much here. Yeah, we could have had like one less running around scene and one more Zan doing plant stuff scene. Yeah. Like in the. We could have had one less running around scene and then when Zan had been dragged off by Bernie, we could have gotten a scene where she was there doing plant science. But anyway, she tells Dargo that she's sad about the plant thing and he says, you know. Don't be sad. Maybe someday you'll get to go back to the asteroid and, and do plant science. And she's like, you know that's not going to happen. And he's like, well, but somebody will. Like, the plants are there, and the person who's meant to find them will find them. And universe, peace, zen, river thing. Look, I was barely in this episode. It's really hard for me to care about this plot. Especially because it's something you're bringing up even though it was built up almost not at all so eh. Zan does take comfort in Dargo's words though he's like learned how to be a more comforting person and then Pilot tells Aaron that it's time for the baby ship to be named and that Moya wants Aaron to name the baby ship which is very cute and also weirdly sitcom-y but you know it's okay oh it's you want to get real sitcom-y Talon, we're, when she get, she's not going to name him until next episode, it's Talon. Talon is the name of Aaron's dad. Oh. Yeah. Actually, I don't think it's next episode. I think it's the episode after that, because remember I told you it's a two-parter. Yeah. 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 So, on the planet, one of the Marauders has found Emily, and is like, Hey, Scorpius, this, uh, this chick... Talk to the prisoners, so she's got really got all sorts of information. And she's like... Please help me. I'm doing that same thing I was doing before. Please take me on your ship and I'll tell you everything you need to know. And Scorpius is like, look, I know that you eat bones and fortunately I got a ship full of people with bones. So, yeah, come on, let's be friends. He says the very creepy line. Sometimes we must be willing to give of ourselves. Because, yeah, he totally knows she's a bone eater, and he's totally going to sacrifice his crew so that he can get some information about where John is. It would be nice if we saw her again after this. I know. I wish we did. But uh, that's where the episode ends. Yeah. So it does this kind of weird slow motion thing where he's, like, stroking her face, and the episode's gone into slow motion a couple times where they're just running, like, a few seconds short. It's, yeah, well, this, this, is, this is network TV. It has to come in at exactly as many seconds as it comes in at. Yeah. It, it feels weird because the slow motion bits are, they're all pretty short and they don't really add anything, but okay, whatever. It actually, it feels like a, it feels weirdly like the television equivalent of a fade out. Yes. All right, so. What'd you think of this episode? It was fine. I didn't love it or anything. It, it had the, there was a lot of farting around in this episode problem that a lot of episodes have. Like, we... We didn't need to spend that much time with John Fig. Although, if they had just removed some stuff, not removed. If they, well, yes, removed. If they had removed some of the, oh, 
he she's the bad guy no wait he's actually the bad guy wait is she the bad guy if they'd cut some of that and maybe the stuff with scorpius and uh Crace. yeah and maybe the stuff with scorpius and Crace and had more with xan Okay, I think they could have cut the Scorpius and Christ stuff, but I think the stuff on the planet was really strong, especially because I like the, oh, wait, no, she was the villain all along, and then, like, double twist, yes, she's exactly what we said she is, but can you blame her? She's just hungry. Like, I love that double twist in this episode. And, it and, is neat because it's playing on your, you see it and you're like, oh, obviously it's going to be a twist and she's going to be the bad guy the minute you see her. Yeah. And it is neat that they double back on it. And I, I like that they didn't double back and be like, oh, wait, no, she's not the beast. It's like, yeah, she is the beast, but let's talk about why. Let's talk about why she did what she did. Emily did nothing wrong. Me want food. <laughs> Her want food. I still think he should have been a uh, plant person. Yeah. And, uh, anyway. Uh, I also felt like the stuff with Claudio Black and Talon, which we didn't talk about a lot because most of it's atmospheric. There's not a lot of plot to talk about. But I felt like it was so beautiful and emotional. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I just, I feel like we're coming off some pretty strong episodes and this was fine. That's, you know what, that's fair. And and let me, let me springboard off of that to talk about next time's episode. Okay. Next episode is Family Ties and it is the, you know what, the episode titles on First Keeper Terrible. Anyway, <laughs> next one's episode is Family Ties, and it is the last episode of the season, and the plot is... You have to fight Robo Urkel? No. No, it's Urkel's clone. God. Stefan Urkel. God. That's not the clone, that's the... Anyway, that's... <laughs> that's him under the influence of a suave potion, but then later he clones himself and there's permanently a Stefan Urkel, because that show just went... Stefan Urkel. Urkel, because that... that... And she went right off the walls. Oh, and also he does successfully grind down Judy Winslow into marrying him. Uh, Laura? Laura. Judy is her very little sister. Is she the one who disappears forever? Yes. Okay, I I never actually watched Family Ties. Family Ties? Yeah, you just... I, it's actually Family Matters. Family Ties is the one with Alex P. Keaton. Oh, it's the one with the smart-ass tiny Republican who doesn't get, you know... Hey, hey, you know that episode where your friend kills himself because there's not a, you know, support system for people with mental problems in place? Isn't it weird that you don't bring up your buddy Reagan at all in that episode? Okay, so first of all, that's a really powerful episode. Secondly, the idea is that his parents are hippies and he's conservative. It's like reverse all in the family. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh... You can't make a main character, like, I mean, I guess Jack Donaghy. But I'm like, you can't make a su- the main character a super fan of Reagan and expect me to like him at all. That's, you know what, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, does he have any gay friends? Because let's talk about the AIDS crisis for a second, Alex P. Keaton. Uh, they weren't talking about the AIDS crisis yet when that show aired. Yeah. Because of Reagan. Oh, effing scumbag. Sorry. Next episode is called Family Ties. Yes. <laughs> and the plot description from Google Play is, Rigel steals a transport pod and goes to the Peacekeeper command carrier to betray the others. However, he returns to Moya with Krace, who wants asylum. Meanwhile, Crichton decides to destroy Scorpius's gamic base. So, uh... You could have done nothing, John. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> but anyway, action-packed finale. Be ready for that. <sighs> so let's talk about our... Segments. Segments. The first segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you here in this episode. I mean, I like that we finally found out that Xan was a plant because you told me about it early on and it's been, no pun intended, seeded for a while. Oh. Especially in the Desert Planet episode where she gets all... Hot on the sun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I like that they brought that up. You know, that, that was that was a neat thing. And I do, I do like the little character thing where Scorpius is a lot stronger than Peacekeepers, but he's ashamed to use it because mm-hmm. it's just a reminder that he's not a full Peacekeeper. Yeah. This is going to feed a little into Looking for a Way Home, so I'm just going to throw out there that Talon as a ship is beautiful. And the inside, the interiors of Talon, the way that they're dressed and lit is honestly perfect. And so that, that's, my, that's my world building thing. Our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures. What cool creature design worked for you this week? Oh, Bernie. I'm a big fan of the double mouth thing. I feel like that doesn't get enough use in alien designs, and it looks really cool. Not as cool as the double mouth or triple mouth alien we saw in, like, the second episode. That was really cool, but, I mean, they had to have him around all episode, and he had to talk to people, so. Yeah, he could only do so much with his mouth. Yeah. I do like that. I, I mean, I really liked Emily's design, where she was, like... A human with headphones and a unitard. And then when she went into her, like, hunger state, she had, like, all of these spines and, and a full transformation that took, like, eight puppeteers to work. I mean, honestly, ta- speaking about Sailor Moon, she had a real Sailor Moon villain aesthetic to yes, her. Yes, absolutely. And our uh, final segment is Looking for a Way Home, which is what emotionally worked for you in this episode. Oh, Claudia Black's ship stuff was probably the strongest. Oh, my God. When she, like, gets down, like, when she crouches down... To talk to Talon, like, his little light in the center of his, of the floor of command. And it's just, like, telling him that she understands him and that she's a peacekeeper, too. But the peacekeepers aren't good and she rejected them and she hopes that he'll trust her. Like, it's so beautiful. And then when Pilot says that she gets to name him, just the look in her eyes. Claudia Black sells it so much. I just, ugh. Works for me. So I guess that'll about do it for this week. Yeah, I guess that's it for us for this week. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, and Kyle. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should head over to our Facebook page, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Mm-hmm.